Our text this morning is found in Matthew chapter 4, verses 17 through 25. From that time, Jesus began to preach and to say, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And Jesus, walking by the Sea of Galilee, saw two brothers, Simon called Peter and Andrew his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. Then he said to them, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. They immediately left their nets and followed him. Going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James the son of Zebedee and John his brother, in the boat with Zebedee their father, mending their nets. He called them, and immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. And Jesus went about all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the gospel of the kingdom and healing all kinds of sickness and all kinds of disease among the people. Then his fame went throughout all Syria, and they brought to him all sick people who were afflicted with various diseases and torments, and those who were demon-possessed, epileptics and paralytics, and he healed them. Great multitudes followed him from Galilee and from Decapolis, Jerusalem, Judea, and beyond the Jordan. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you, of, we thank you that you have given us your word and its instruction for life. It's a map for us to follow. It's your word that you spoke into uh, existence, the entire universe. And so we follow your word. We submit to your word. We honor your word and we thank you for it. We ask that you would open our hearts and minds to the instruction from your word this morning. Allow us to submit our hearts and minds to you and to uh, leave changed for having uh, applied what you have uh, instructed us today. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Chances are, if you have one verse in the Bible memorized, it is John 3.16. John 3.16 is a great verse. Probably one of the most familiar verses in all the Bible. It teaches us, it tells us a beautiful truth about God's love about Jesus' death, and even about how to have eternal life through Jesus Christ's death. It's a wonderful verse. In fact, this verse is so popular, it's not unusual to be watching a football game, whether it's an NFL game this afternoon, or perhaps you even saw it yesterday watching a college football game. But it's so popular that it's not unusual to be watching a football game and you will almost see someone holding up a sign that says John 3.16. But have you ever seen someone hold up a sign that says Luke 9.23? Now some of you are like, Luke 9.23, what's that say? Chances are you have probably never seen a sign held up at a football game or any sporting event, for that matter, that reads Luke 9.23. But Luke 9.23 also records the words of Jesus. In fact, here's what it says in case you're interested. If anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Perhaps that's why no one paints that on a poster board and holds it up at a football game. Doesn't seem like a very good marketing approach for recruiting followers of Christ. 
And yet, what Jesus tells us here, what he says in Luke 9.23, is just as important, just as significant, just as critical as what he says in John 3.16. For the gospel includes both. So, what does Jesus mean then when he says in Luke 9.23 these two simple words, follow me? What does he mean with those words? And why should we be compelled to follow Jesus when he calls us to do so? Well, that's what we're going to discover in this series over the next few weeks. A series we're simply calling, Follow Me, based on the words of Christ. And we're going to discover the answer to these questions as we dive into the gospel according to Matthew here. As you read Matthew chapter 4 through 10, and as you kind of focus in on these chapters here, of of chapters 4 through 10, you begin to notice in a kind of a, a survey of those chapters there, that there are basically two groups of people following Jesus. What you see is there are casual fans and there are committed followers, You may be wondering, well, what are casual fans? We talked about this a year ago. Some of you may remember that in a series. In many ways, casual fans are just enthusiastic admirers of Jesus. It's not that these people, these these fans of Christ, it's not that they don't want a relationship with Jesus. It's just that they want that relationship on their own terms. These fans of Jesus specifically in the book of Matthew, are almost always identified uh, by the phrase multitudes or crowds. In fact, Matthew will even describe them as, as great multitudes or the crowds. And these multitudes of fans, these crowds of fans, were often curious about Jesus. Who is this guy? And so they would follow him. They would come see him. They would even listen to what he had to say. And some of them were even convinced who Jesus was. They actually believed, you know what, I think this guy is who he says he is. I think he is the Son of God, after all. Maybe he is the Messiah and the Savior. But they were not yet committed to following Jesus. These two groups of people are easily identified, easily seen for us here in the fourth chapter of Matthew. Matthew chapter 4, verses 18 through 22, what you find are two brothers, Peter and Andrew, And they commit to follow Jesus. And then two more brothers, James and John, also commit to follow Jesus. But when you drop down to the end of the chapter there, verse uh, 25, you see great multitudes follow Christ. But if you go back up to verse 24, Matthew tells us the reason they followed Jesus was because of their curiosity about the fame of Jesus. In other words, they're simply interested in his healings, his miracles, what he had to say. And so they're curious fans, and they're following after the fame instead of the person and his mission. And so what we have here, even as you then approach chapters 5 through 7, which Jesus goes into here, is known as the Sermon on the Mount, the greatest sermon ever preached to mankind. And basically what Jesus does immediately with these crowds who are following him, he basically tells them, hey, you want to follow after me? Here's what life in the kingdom is all about. 
You come to the end of the Sermon on the Mount there. And in chapter 8, verse 1, Matthew tells us that Jesus comes down from the mountain and great multitudes follow Him. And what we have in the next weeks we're going to focus on is chapters 8, 9, and 10. And what we're going to see in these chapters here specifically is that Jesus begins to give these crowds, these fans, the reason why they should follow Christ. And he begins to intersperse that with, here's what it means to follow me. He tells them why, because he begins to establish his authority, his power. In other words, he builds up his credentials as the Messiah, as the Savior, as the King of Kings. And in between these miracles that we're going to see through these chapters, Jesus pauses, he stops, and he kind of gives a discipleship lesson. Here's what it means to follow me. And by the time we get to chapter 10, what we see is there's about 12 dudes who are willing to make the commitment, and he sends them out on a missionary journey. So I hope you'll join us for the next few weeks as we dive into what it means when Jesus says, Follow me. And why even now we should be compelled to follow him. In Matthew 4, these two groups of people, casual fans, committed followers, and the multitudes of fans, as we said, they're great admirers of Jesus. They listened to his teaching. They marveled at his miracles. But the crowds were fickle. They followed Jesus, but not in the right way. Not always for the right reasons. And so when they followed his fame, as soon as it became too risky to follow, what you find is they quickly disappear. But Jesus didn't come in order to attract more crowds. Yes, he paid attention to the crowds. Yes, he attracted them. That's why he did some of the miracles he did. He came to bring the kingdom of God and to make true disciples. In other words, what we see here in the book of Matthew, specifically in Matthew 4 through chapter 10 here, is that Jesus' goal then in the book of Matthew, and His goal still for us today, now, is the same. And that is to turn casual fans into committed followers of Christ with two simple words. Follow me. Follow me. He's wanting to move people out of the crowd category into the committed follower category. And he does it with two simple words. Follow me. Now, in those words, we begin to unpack a little bit of what it means when Jesus says, follow me. And in the context of Matthew 4, Jesus is clearly saying to us two things, not just one thing. He is saying, follow me. While at the same time, he is saying, follow me. In other words, Jesus is saying, there is me and there is my mission. There is the person of Christ and there is the path of Christ. So when you hear the words, follow me, please understand. Please hear two things, not just one thing. So what I want us to do is spend a few minutes here this morning looking at what it means to follow Christ. We want to unpack these two simple words here for a few minutes in Matthew chapter 4. So notice with me, number one, follow me. Follow me, Christ says. 
Why should I follow Jesus? Well, look again at what it says in Matthew 4. Go back to your text in your Bibles there. And specifically, verses 18 and 19. It says, Now Jesus, walking by the Sea of Galilee, saw two brothers, Simon called Peter and Andrew his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. And then Jesus invites two more brothers to follow him in verse 21. So what we have here, we immediately see there are four dudes, specifically fishermen, standing by the Sea of Galilee, and get this, there is nothing in them to draw them to Christ. They don't have a whole lot of qualities going in their favor. They are lower class, they are uneducated fishermen, and let me tell you, they're not much respected in their community. Moreover, their ignorance, their narrow-minded ways, and their competitive pride make them the least spiritually qualified for the task to which Jesus is calling them to. But that is precisely the point that Matthew wants us to see when he calls these four fishermen. You see, they don't warrant Jesus' pursuit. And yet, what is Jesus doing? Jesus comes to them. He walks up to these four men in the middle of the work by the Sea of Galilee, and he invites them, follow me. Now, I don't know about you, but you've got to stand back from this because this is amazing. In fact, it's not just amazing, it's grace in action. Because when we realize that Jesus is the one who takes the initiative and invites us to follow him, let me tell you, everything changes in our lives. Nothing is the same from that moment on when God opens up our eyes and He opens up our heart and we see and we realize spiritually, whoa, He's the one who's calling me. He's the one who's saying, follow me. And until our souls are struck by the greatness of the one who has called us to Himself, listen, we will not follow Him. Until we are overwhelmed by the magnitude of the words, follow me, because we are awed by the majesty of the me who says them, we will continue to follow our own path. We will continue to live our own lives and, do for, and live it for our own selves. So what I want us to do briefly here is to consider the portrait of Jesus, who Jesus is that Matthew paints for us leading up to this initial encounter between Jesus and these first disciples, these four fishermen. Notice with me, why follow Jesus? Because first of all, Jesus is the Savior. He's the Savior sent to save us from our sins. From the very beginning in chapter 1, Matthew is making something clear to us here that Jesus is the Savior who came to deliver us from our sins. In other words, Jesus is the promised Messiah whom God's people for centuries had eagerly anticipated. They had anxiously awaited for. And in his description of the virgin birth, Matthew puts Jesus full humanity, and His full deity on display for us. In other words, Matthew wants to make it clear to us who this person is, that Jesus is unlike anyone else we have ever met or ever will meet in our lives. He is fully God and yet fully human. He is the promised one. He is the Savior sent to save us from our sins. 
Number two, why follow Jesus? Because He is the sovereign over the wise. And He is the shepherd of the weak. In Matthew chapter 2, we see that wise men follow Him by following a star. It's the Christmas story we're familiar with. And the wise men follow a star and they journey hundreds of miles to find a newborn king. And of course, when they find the newborn king, what is their response? They bow down and they worship the newborn king. They bring gifts to the newborn king. And at the same time, Matthew quotes from the prophet Micah and tells us that Jesus is the ruler who will shepherd God's people. So we see in chapter 2, this is no ordinary Jesus. This Jesus is the sovereign over the wise of the world, and He is the shepherd of the weak of the world. And then number three, why follow Jesus? Because He's the promised King, and He's the righteous judge. In Matthew chapter 3, John the Baptist preaches, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Basically meaning that the King is here and He will save all who trust in Him. And at the same time, John goes on further in John Matthew chapter 3, and John tells us that the winnowing fork is in Jesus' hand. And Jesus will separate the grain from the chaff. In other words, all those who do not turn from their sin and trust the Savior will burn with unquenchable fire. Why? Because He is the promised King, and yet He is the righteous judge. And then we have something very interesting, very unique at the very end of Matthew 3, when heaven itself kind of parts ways, and the voice of God declares on His Son, this is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. Why follow Jesus? Number four, because Jesus is the sinless Son of God and the light of the world. The very beginning of Matthew chapter 4 portrays Jesus as the Son of God in the wilderness who resisted temptation and did not die, give in to sin and who was victorious over Satan in the wilderness there. And then Matthew tells us that John, that Jesus, I'm sorry, is the light of the world and that he is the hope for all people when he quotes from Isaiah. So what we have leading up to this encounter in Matthew 4, is Matthew is preparing us in the first four chapters of the book of who Jesus is. So this is the majestic portrait we have. And so now when we come to Matthew chapter 4, verse 19, and we see Jesus approach these four fishermen and say, follow me. Listen, we need to be gripped by the greatness of the one who is offering this invitation. Listen, Jesus is not some ordinary human being. Jesus is not some puny religious leader just begging for an invitation from anyone. He is the promised Savior. He is the sovereign King. And He is the righteous Judge who is the light of the world and the hope for all peoples. Do we realize who this is? Because when we do, folks, listen to me, there is only one reasonable response on our behalf. Notice this on the screen. Jesus is worthy of far more than just casual association. Jesus is worthy of our supreme adoration. 
This is no game that we're playing on a Sunday morning. We're talking about the sovereign king of the universe. We're talking about the righteous judge of the nations. We're talking about God in the flesh who comes to us saying, follow me. So when Jesus comes to you now, and He says, follow me. Folks, listen, we need to understand there is no room for casual response Our only reasonable response is to bow and worship Christ the King, which is exactly what Peter did. You say, I don't see that in Matthew. You have to go to Luke chapter 5, which is a parallel account of the same story here in Matthew 4. And when you go to Luke chapter 5, what you see that as soon as Peter realized who it was that was calling him to follow him, Peter bows in repentance of his sin. He bows in worship of the one. And he is in awe. He is in fear. And then he rises and follows Jesus. Have you ever met this Jesus? Have you ever been awed by this Jesus? Has God opened up your heart to realize who this Jesus is? Because I'm praying that today will be the day where you see for the first time who the me is and follow me. And I pray that the Spirit of God will prompt your heart to respond to Him. Yes, I will follow you. And not as a casual fan, but as a committed follower. So then, what does that word follow mean? Well, that brings us to the other half of Jesus' invitation Number two, follow me. But what does it mean to follow Jesus? Because if this is the portrait of the one who calls us, then what does it mean for those who respond? Well, it means everything. It means a radical new life in Christ. Now, I'm not saying that these four fishermen knew everything that this meant for their lives at the moment they responded by the Sea of Galilee. But I do think these guys knew following Jesus meant a radical change for their lives. Follow me is primarily a two-fold call in our lives. Just as it was for these four disciples, it's still a two-fold call for us here today in the 21st century. First of all, it's a call to leave a wasted life in self. Now, we're not talking about a wasted life from eternity's perspective or I'm sorry, from the world's perspective, we're talking about a wasted life from eternity's perspective. Because get this, understand this, listen to me, you can live a very, quote, successful life in the world's eyes. You can achieve the American dream of having a nice house, two cars, a good job, enough money to take a vacation, and even look forward to retirement. You can have all that. You can pursue all that. And yet it will be considered a wasted life in God's eyes if it was lived in self and lived for self and if it was achieved on a temporary basis and if it made no lasting difference in eternity. So what Christ is calling us to is to leave that kind of life, a wasted life that is lived for self and in self. 
And that's why this call is, takes us back to what John the Baptist said in John chapter 3 and what Jesus Himself says now here in Matthew 4, verse 17, when He says, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Repent. That's a word we don't talk about a whole lot. What's it mean? To repent. It means to confess. It means to admit our sin. It's the idea to, to express sorrow over your sin. And more importantly, it's the idea to turn from your sin and leave it behind and to turn to Jesus Christ as the Savior for the forgiveness of our sins. And this repentance is illustrated in baptism, which is kind of a renouncing of ourselves. It's a, it's a renouncing of dependence on ourselves and to walk in newness of life, which is dependent upon God. Now think about how this renouncing is playing out here in these disciples' lives because what we see here is that a call to follow Jesus is a call to leave behind a wasted life in self. In verse 20, it says both Peter and Andrew immediately left their nets and followed Him. You drop down to verse 22 and it says both James and John immediately left their boat and their father and followed Him. This word left, interesting word, it actually literally means abandon. So there's a leaving behind. There's an abandoning, if you will, involved in following Jesus for these four dudes. These four fishermen. And just think with me for a moment what these four fishermen were leaving behind. They were leaving behind comfort and careers. These guys were leaving behind all that was familiar to them, all that was natural for them as fishermen. They were leaving certainty for uncertainty. Jesus did not say where they were going, just who they would be with. And you know what? That was more than sufficient for them. As they completely realigned their life and their life's work around Jesus and Jesus' work. They were leaving behind possessions and positions. They dropped their nets. They left their boats. And no, they were not counted among the rich in their day. But they did make a living as fishermen. And so they did leave behind a, quote, good life in following Jesus. We hear this echoed by Peter himself in Mark chapter 10, verse 28, when Peter tells Jesus, we've left everything to follow you. They were leaving behind even family and friends and safety. They would live out what Jesus would tell them later on in Matthew 10, verse 37, when Jesus says, whoever loves a father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever loves a son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Jesus would soon say to them in Matthew 10, 16 through 18, Behold, I am sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. So be wise as serpent and innocent as doves. Beware of men, for they will deliver you over to courts and flog you in their synagogues. And you will be dragged before governors and kings for my sake. And all of this ultimately points to a leaving of self. And this is the central message we see from Jesus. Matthew 16.24 tells us, Then Jesus said to His disciples, If anyone desires to come after Me, let him deny himself. 
and take up his cross and follow me. And so in a world where everything revolves around self, promote yourself, protect yourself, present yourself, take care of yourself, Jesus says, deny yourself. So what does this mean? What does it mean for us here today? Folks, listen, it means when you become a follower of Jesus, you leave behind your life as you know it. Now, I'm not saying this means every Christ follower must leave behind their career, go quit your job tomorrow. I'm not saying that. I'm not saying it means give away all your possessions, abandon your family, your friends, and physically die for the gospel, which is what these guys did. I'm not saying that, but here's what I am saying. It does mean we break, get this, from pursuing these things as everything in our lives. It means comfort and certainty are no longer our main concern. It means your career revolves around what Jesus calls you to do. It means your possessions are not your own, and position is no longer your priority, and self is no longer your God. What did, why, why would these guys do this? Why did they leave behind all these things which in our American culture are counted so dear in order to live for one thing, to honor the king with their lives? You see, to follow Jesus means to hold loosely, to, to live with open hands, to all these other things like comfort, careers, possessions, positions, and even family and friends and safety in order to cling tightly to the person of Christ the King and to pursue diligently the mission of His eternal kingdom. Now all this leads us to the second part of what it means to follow Jesus. Follow me, as we said, is a twofold call. And the first part of that call is to leave a wasted life in self and for self in order to, number two, live a kingdom life in Christ and for Christ. Yes, Jesus is clear. Following Him means leaving behind all things. But in return, get this, we gain everything when we live a kingdom life in Christ. Jesus tells us in Matthew 10, 39, whoever finds his life, in other words, in this world, pursuing these things, he says, will lose it. And whoever loses his life for my sake, for my kingdom, for my cause, will find it. The martyred missionary Jim Elliott, his words still ring true, don't they? When he said, he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. So what is kingdom life? What does it consist of? What is it about? Kingdom life is all about, notice this in your notes coming up on the screen, following Jesus with a joyful dependence on His grace. In other words, it's all about knowing Christ and knowing His grace. Do you realize Jesus takes the initiative to choose you? He takes the initiative. 
That's the beauty of what's happening here in Matthew 4. These four guys, listen, they aren't coming to Jesus. They're not seeking Him out. Jesus is coming to them. Jesus is initiating the relationship. Jesus even tells them later on in John chapter 15, 16, listen, you did not choose Me, but I chose you. And He clearly did not choose these guys because of anything in them. It was all because of grace in Christ. Jesus did not choose these guys because of what they brought to the table. They did not have a lot of things in their favor to even bring to the table. And you might think, man, aren't you being a little hard on these four fishermen? But the reality is, it's not just them. It's all of us here this morning. It's me. Listen, we have nothing in us to draw us to Jesus. Or to draw Jesus to us. There's nothing in us to provoke this kind of invitation. We are sinners running from God. But the gracious reality of the gospel here is that Jesus has come running to us. He calls us and He chooses us. To use Paul's words in Ephesians 1, 4-6, He, that is God, chose us in Him, in Christ, before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before Him. In love, He predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of His will, to the praise of His glorious grace. And so what we see here is that Jesus takes the initiative to choose us, and then, get this, He actually provides the power to use us in His kingdom work. That's grace. Jesus does not command these guys here to make fishers of men. He doesn't command them to fish for men. Jesus says, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. In other words, Jesus says, I'm going to do a transforming work in your life that will enable you to spread my kingdom all over this world for all peoples. Understand, there's no way that these disciples would be able to carry out the commands that Jesus would give them later on, which He also gives to us today. But that is the whole point Matthew is drawing for us here. Jesus was going to do a transforming, radical work in their lives. He was going to provide the power to use them so that in the end, He and He alone gets the glory. You know what? Jesus wants to do that for me today. He wants to do that for you today. Praise God. Woo! That's better than the Chiefs winning this afternoon. So to follow Jesus is to live a kingdom life in Christ. But listen, it's only possible in dependence on His grace. It's only possible when you know Christ and His grace in your life and you depend on it each and every day. Kingdom life also means following Jesus with faithful adherence to His person. In other words, it's all about growing your relationship in Christ. Adherence, that word, you know what it means? Exactly what you think it means. To stick firmly. Adhere. It's the idea of sticking with Jesus, no matter what the cost. But the reality is, Once Jesus does all this ministry in Galilee, once He performs all these miracles, and He starts to head back down to Jerusalem, where He will be killed on the cross, 
the only people who follow him all the way are his 12 disciples. And even then, they break off at the end. And a few women. So what we see here is that nominal adherence to Jesus is not something new in the 21st century. It was prevalent in the 1st century as well. Throughout history, there have been crowds of people, what we are calling fans of Christ, who have been content to just listen to Jesus and maybe even agree with Jesus, but they have not truly committed to follow Jesus. And folks, listen to me. Jesus is coming to us here through the book of Matthew, and He is challenging us this morning not to be in that crowd, not to be just another casual fan, but to be a committed follower of Jesus in a world that is full of casual fans, and especially here in America where we have thousands of people on a Sunday morning who will gather for one hour a week and think, I'm a committed follower because I donated an hour to come hear somebody preach. Jesus is inviting you to follow Him wholeheartedly with everything. Willing to go wherever He asks and do whatever He says no matter what the cost. Why? Because kingdom life is all about Faithful adherence to the person of Christ. It's all about growing in your relationship with Christ. Kingdom life also means, number three, following Jesus with total confidence in His authority. Why? So that you will show Christ in the world. So the world will see Christ in your life. You see, to follow Jesus is to believe that He is sovereign over every domain. He is sovereign over every detail in our lives. In the parallel account in Luke 5, Jesus tells these four fishermen where to drop their nets for fish. And lo and behold, you know what? They caught more fish than their nets could hold. And at that moment, they realized something. They woke up and they smelled the coffee for the first time. And they realized Jesus is sovereign over the fish of the sea. And later on, they will learn, as we will see in Matthew, that He is sovereign over the storms in our lives. In other words, Jesus is sovereign over everything. And you say, why is this so important? It's important because we have a tendency, especially here in America, to compartmentalize Christianity. In other words, we put following Jesus into the spiritual part of our lives, into the spiritual realm of our lives, and then we put everything else, we fit everything else into the, well, that's the practical part of my life. That's the daily part of my life. That's the part of my life that's Monday through Saturday. But folks, listen, Jesus is sovereign over every domain in every detail in our lives. Jesus is Lord over it all. And that means we go to Him with it all. We don't regulate Jesus as a side thing. We do on Sunday mornings. And then just get on with our lives on Monday morning. No, Jesus is over everything. He's Lord over politics and presidents. He is Lord over nations and economies. He is Lord over our houses and our cars. He's Lord over our health and our finances. He is Lord over our aging parents and our kids. And to follow Jesus, to live with this kind of total confidence in His sovereign authority over every domain and every detail of our lives 
In other words, as Christ followers, we follow him in everything, not just in some things. And finally, kingdom life is also all about following Jesus with urgent obedience to his mission. In other words, we are willing to go with Christ in order to share Christ with those who do not know Christ. When Jesus says, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men, he uses imagery that is common to their vocation to communicate that this would be their life mission. Instead of searching for fish all over the sea, they would be spreading the gospel all over the world. And that's what Jesus said to these these disciples in their first encounter here in Matthew 4. And that's what Jesus would tell them again in the last chapter of Matthew 28, 19-20, when he says, Go and do what? Go and make disciples of all nations. So what does this mean for us? It means every follower is a fisher. It means every follower is a disciple maker. So are you a follower of Jesus? then your mission is to fish for lost people. Your mission is to make disciples who follow Jesus. And you say, oh man, Bruce, I can't do that. Fishing for people and leading people to Christ, I just can't do that. And if you think that, I would say, yes, that's the whole point. You can't do that. Because even these disciples could not do that. You see, the point is, Jesus makes us what we can't be in and of ourselves. And as a result of His grace, and as we adhere to Him, He makes every follower a fisher of men. So what we see here in this glimpse in Matthew 4, is that following Jesus is all about knowing Christ, growing in Christ. Showing Christ to the world and going with Christ so that we could spread the good news and the hope of Christ here and beyond. All of this leads us to one simple question Will you follow Jesus? Are you willing to do what these four fishermen did? In other words, are you willing to leave a wasted life in self and for self in order to live a kingdom life in Christ and for Christ? Or will you choose to reject Jesus' invitation to follow him and to live for yourself and to die in your sins? Two simple words. One simple question. I want you to contemplate what God has spoken to us this morning. I want you to think seriously of what Jesus brings to us here in his call. With your heads bowed and your eyes closed. And as we come to our response time, it's pretty clear what the response is, and that is to follow Jesus.
to leave behind our wasted life in order to live a kingdom life. And so I'm asking you to consider where your life is at right now. To consider whether you're in the group that would be considered a casual fan or are you in the group and answer the call of being a committed follower. What will you choose? Will you follow Jesus? Praise seems going to sing. And Jesus is still calling just as he called these four fishermen. Follow me and I will make you fishers of men.